Hey Cornerstone, my name is Tim Caressel. I'm a young adult and youth pastor here and wherever you are watching or listening from today, just wanna to say welcome. We're continuing a series called Sheltered Into New Life. And today I wanna to share a message with you that I'm calling Wait For It. Because, you know, we are living in this very unique season of sheltering uh, due to a pandemic. And I think that uh, we've all gotten just a little familiar with, with waiting at this point. You know, today, as we speak, we've been waiting over six months for things to just go back to normal. Whatever that normal is for you. Right? We have been waiting to go back to work, waiting to go back to school, waiting to go to church to worship in a full auditorium again. We've been waiting to do things just like you know, going to concerts and the movies and traveling. And we've been waiting to just be with other people. I mean, how many of you are just waiting for a hug right about now? But you know, I don't think that I'm alone in that there have been many points during this season where there's been like, you know, points of frustration and points of disappointment and anxiety, uh, just feeling like, man, when is this going to be over? When are we going to get to the other side of this? But the truth is, and this is what I want to talk about today, is that there are many moments, there are many seasons of waiting that we all have to go through and pass through in our lifetime. And I think one of the most relatable prayers in the Bible comes from Psalm 13:1, where it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I mean, have you ever been in that place before? Have you ever like thought to yourself or, or even like prayed to God, like how long do I have to wait until this season's over? How long until you deliver on what you promised? How long, God, until I can start doing the thing that I feel just so called to do? How long until my time comes? How long until things change, until, until this problem gets fixed? How long do I have to wait until I can move into to the next chapter of my, of my life, of my job, of my relationship, my passion, my you fill in the blank. And I know that I've had my own fair share of moments like this. I've had uh, many points where I've thought these things and I've prayed these things. I think one of the most notable uh, seasons for me was back in 2008, Lindsay and I, we moved to the Pacific Northwest and we left behind Colorado. We left behind our Cornerstone family. And no joke, within a year, we were already asking God, so how long until we can go back? Because we're kind of done. And we would have to wait nearly 10 years before God would open up a door of opportunity to come back. And that wasn't before having to do one more cross-country move to the East Coast. You know, whether you realize it or not, we all find ourselves waiting for something at some point. And what I love about the prayer in Psalm 13 and really all of the Psalms really is that these were meant to be congregational songs. And so what that means is that the people of Israel were to sing them together. And so know that in your waiting, that this is an experience that's common to all of us that are on, on the journey of faith. I mean, it's common enough to warrant congregational singing about it. But also understand that, that God, he knows 
he knows that you're waiting for him. And he's inviting you to trust that, that maybe he might just actually have a purpose and a plan for you in the midst of it. This prayer in Psalm 13, um, it was written by King David. And I think of all people, he's somewhat of an expert on the subject. And, uh, and that's because David knew what it was like to wait. And David knew what it was like to, to be on the journey of discovering why God at times has us do it. David's story begins in the book of 1 Samuel, and it's at a time where Israel had insisted on having a king like all the other nations around them. And to make the story as brief as possible, their very first king was a guy named Saul, and he wasn't working out so well. He looked the part in everything, but he had some major issues of the heart. And so God, he's like, man, Saul, he's out. I want him out. And he goes, God tells the prophet Samuel, and he says, I have chosen for myself a king. I have hand-selected this one. And he told Samuel that he'd find him among the sons of a man named Jesse, and so what Samuel does is he actually organizes like this special sacrifice and this ceremony and he brings Jesse and his sons and because uh, they want to figure out and, and find out who the chosen one is. And what's so funny is that David, being the eighth and the youngest son, he's not even invited. And Bible scholars, they, they speculate that he was somewhere between 10 and 15 years old at this point. And so it would make sense that while, you know, the, the older brothers and Jesse were at this big special thing that, you know, the youngest, he was just at home taking care of chores, taking care of the, the family sheep, while his older, more qualified, more mature brothers attended the Lord's special anointing ceremony. But as we find out, Samuel, he soon discerns that none of these big brothers were God's chosen king. And in fact, he finds out that it was young David. He was the chosen one. And that day, David was anointed with oil. And the scripture says that the Holy Spirit rushed on him from that day forward. And there would have been no mistaking what took place there. I mean, David was called God had a purpose and a plan for his life. God had, had promised the crown to him. And can you imagine just how remarkable this would have been for David? Can you imagine how empowering this would have felt to like go through this, be told this, to be anointed like this, especially in front of your older brothers as they looked on with their jaws dropped, to experience the Holy Spirit just as the scripture says, rush over you. And to know so clearly that God had this remarkable purpose and plan and promise for your life. But given all that, I think it's so funny how this particular scene ends in the Bible. After all this goes down, it just says that Samuel got up and left. Right? Like David, he has this meaningful and this powerful anointing ceremony and experience. He hears God's big plan and then Samuel just gets up and he's like, all right, cool guys. I uh, guess I better be going now. <laughs> I mean, if I were David, I would be like, dude, Sam, so what now? And I just imagine the scene being like, I don't know, just wait for it. <laughs> David, 
had to wait for it. It's not time to wear the crown just yet. And so David goes back to doing what he always did. He continues to shepherd the family flock for probably a few more years. But then a messenger from the king arrives and the messenger has a special David. And he's, uh, uh, he's got a special message and he's looking for David. And he finds David and the messenger from the king says, David, I've got a message for you. You have been selected. And it's like, all right, here we go. It's go time. You have been chosen to be a servant to Saul. That's right. So David, he's told that he has to go play music and tend to the needs of a rejected and a dejected king. And this, this whole situation, it would continue for some time. It was, it was a life as a shepherd and a life as a servant. But a fateful day does come. While Israel's army is in a standstill with their Philistine enemies, uh, most people speculate, a lot of uh, Bible scholars speculate that David is somewhere between 16 and 19 years old at this point because the law in Israel at the time said that you had to be 20 years old to be in the army. And David's brothers were soldiers, but he wasn't. He wasn't old enough. And so David's dad tells him he's got to run this picnic basket full of food to his brothers who are in the army camp. And, and so he goes and he does that. And this is where things seem to take a turn for David. This is where the years of waiting seem to be coming to an end, coming to fruition, because it's here where David would meet and slay the giant Goliath. And the scripture even makes these really interesting comments before he kills Goliath. It, it, it points out in the Bible that he left his sheep at home and he left his food with an attendant at the camp. And it was a symbolic statement meaning, saying that David, he was, he was leaving behind that part of his story. The chapter of being shepherd and servant was ending and a new page was turning for him. And indeed, after killing Goliath, he becomes a national hero. He becomes a warrior in the army. Finally, the waiting is over, right? No. You see, Saul, he gets jealous. Saul feels threatened by David's fame and his God-given talent as a warrior and as a leader. And, and so he tries to kill him, forcing David to flee and basically become a refugee. So David, for years, he spends his time not only fighting external enemies, but he's trying to survive the wrath of his own king in his own country. He's constantly on the run. He's living in caves. He's even so desperate that he's, he, he tries to find asylum in enemy territory. In other words, more waiting. And I think that at this point, the waiting is really starting to get hard. Because, you know, when he was younger, when he was a kid, he was probably more likely to be like, well, okay, I get it. I'm just a kid. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a king. I get it. I can wait a, I can wait a minute. But at this point, you know, David has done some growing up. David has experienced some things. David is now a, a proven warrior, and David has now learned to be an effective leader, and there are people who are loyal to him. And, and now he just has to sit there 
and watch a rejected, manic, and unstable king run things. And you know, there often comes a time in our seasons of waiting where it just stops making sense, you know? Where our levels of frustration and impatience and disappointment and confusion just kind of comes to a boiling point. Where we're wondering what's really going on. And if I were David at this point, I'd be like, man, what is the holdup? How long, Lord? I mean, I'm ready. And by the way, I can do it better than him. Let's go, let's do this. What's the holdup? But David, he waits. And he would wait until he was 30 years old for the moment to come where he would finally see the fulfillment of God's purpose and the fulfillment of his plan in his life. Now, there's an important message for us here in David's story of waiting. First of all, we need to understand this, that faster doesn't mean farther. Faster doesn't mean farther. You know, in the age that we live in, I think we've come to terms with the fact that faster equals better, right? I remember downloading music on Napster on dial-up internet 20 years ago. And it took, uh, to download a single song, it took four hours. <laughs> and I remember you could like listen to like the, the portion of the song that had downloaded already. So you could listen to like the, the first seven seconds of the song and then you'd walk away, you'd come back 45 minutes later and then you could listen to the first 11 seconds of the song. And I thought that this was amazing. The, the innovation, it was incredible. But now, I mean, we are streaming and downloading entire movies in seconds from our phones while we're on a road trip. I can, I can ask my robot servant, Alexa, to play the Hamilton soundtrack while I'm cooking dinner. It's awesome. Yes, faster is better, right? And of course, we got to talk about Amazon. And I have a confession for you. Uh, if something isn't available with Prime Delivery, it basically doesn't even exist for me. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not Prime? That's too bad. I guess I can't get it then. I mean, wait an extra 72 hours? Dude, who's got time for that? My friend told me that he ordered a coffee maker on Amazon and it showed up at his door 90 minutes later. I mean, faster is better. Not necessarily. Not always. Faster is not better necessarily when it comes to God's bigger purposes and plans for your life. And faster isn't necessarily better when it comes to successfully living out the things that God's calling you to. And to make the point, I just want to like take a second to compare David's path to become king with Saul's path to become king. Because Saul, he was made king basically overnight. And the people of Israel insisted. They're like, we want a king and we want one now. This is the way we want it. Hashtag insta-king. Saul was given his position fast, but it it didn't work so well for him, did it? He couldn't bear the weight of it without cracking mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Just looking at the scripture, it's clear uh, about the decline of his mental and his emotional state and, and how his relationship with God, it completely breaks down. 
He was, given his, he was given the authority fast, but he didn't know how to deal with the responsibility. And he didn't know how to lead in a way that was, was healthy or godly. And he became destructive towards other people. And he became destructive towards himself. And his story ends in such a sad way. It ends with him and his son dying on the battlefield in a needless battle as a rejected and a dejected king. In other words, the crown came quick, but he wasn't able to wear it for very long. David, on the other hand, waited at least 15 years for his moment. And he certainly had opportunities to force God's plan. He had opportunities to expedite the process by killing Saul, but he waited patiently for God's timing. And he ended up ruling for 40 years as king during a time considered the golden age of Israel where they experienced incredible prosperity and blessing and favor with God. And now he certainly wasn't without his flaws and without his mistakes, but despite all this, he led well, he pursued intimacy with God, and he led others into worship and obedience to the Lord also. You see, fast, it feels so good in the moment because we don't have to wait to get what we want. But it doesn't consider the bigger picture. You know, one thing I've learned in my waiting is that when God calls you to a certain destination, and he is just as interested, maybe even more so, in who you are when you get there. You know, when he fulfills a plan or purpose or promise in your life, he wants to make sure you're able to hold it, that you can bear it. He wants to, he wants to make sure that you are equipped and prepared. Yes, God wants to, he wants your faith to grow so it's big enough to handle what he gives you. And let me tell you something, faith doesn't show up in your life at prime speed. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons why I feel real concern when, we look at, when I look at our culture. Because speed, speed is no longer simply treated like a luxury. It, it, speed is treated like a necessity. Like we're going to suffocate without it. Where if something isn't fast, then it's not worth the wait. If something isn't fast, then I don't have time for that. If, if it's not fast, we say, what's the point? If it's not fast, then it's not good for me. And you know, there are others who, who, who are seeing the, the dangers of this in our culture and are sounding the alarm. I, I, I recently read a, a fantastic book by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the underlying principles from people like John Mark Comer is that our obsession with speed is causing us to miss what's important. And it's making us unable to hear what God is saying to us. And it's inviting oftentimes real damage into our life. And the key to flourishing as a human, as a person, is just in slowing down. It's in accepting those seasons of waiting that God gives us and, and learning to receive them as a gift. Proverbs 19.2 puts it this way. It says, desire without knowledge is not good, and one who moves too hurriedly misses the way. You see, faster, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to go further in life. In fact, it often means you can't. 
And this, by the way, is, is why we need to be so careful not to judge our lives by the speed of others. Had David done that with Saul, I mean, it would have been a total disaster for him. It would have undercut God's bigger plan for him. And so, you know, as we look around at the people around us, our coworkers, our friends, people's social media feeds, man, don't judge your life by the speed of theirs because God just may have a different timetable for them. And if his timing for you seems to be moving more slowly, if there's more delay in your life, if there's more waiting involved, know and trust that maybe that there's a reason for this. And it doesn't mean necessarily that there's less, any less value or importance for, for my life or for my future. And it's possible, by the way, for all we know, that the people that we're so tempted to compare our lives with are rushing the weight in their own life and they will eventually burn out or flame out. Who knows? And God, you know, he doesn't always use long periods of waiting, but the point is simply to trust, to trust that when he moves, it's just at the right time. And there's one more observation that I want to make from David's story today, and it's this. Something is happening while nothing's happening. Something is happening while nothing's happening. Now, just like the way that we have come to believe in our world that fast equals better, we've also learned that slow equals broken. Just think about so much of our day-to-day -day life, right? Waiting is a signal that something isn't working properly. You get the spinning wheel on your computer or while you're trying to watch a show and we think, man, something's not working right here. We gotta, we gotta reboot this thing. You get stuck in traffic, cars are not moving, it's just inching forward, and we just automatically assume something is not right. There's a car crash, there's an accident, hence there's a problem causing this holdup. But you know, we can sometimes take that mentality into our journey of faith and we can mistakenly believe that when it seems like there's no clear movement in our life or in our situation, something must be wrong here. And we begin to wonder like, what did I miss? Where did it go wrong? What did I do? God, have you forgotten me? What is going on? What's the problem? But the truth is, is that God simply works on a different timetable than we do. And to us, Waiting means something's broken, but to God, there's just nothing wrong with it. And in fact, if, if we could just see it through his perspective, we'd see that God is at work in the wait. He's working there. You know, while David waited... He spent his days in the lowly task of shepherding his family's sheep, but in doing so, God was teaching him how to shepherd a nation. And in doing so, David discovered who God is as the shepherd of our souls. And in David's waiting as a servant to an unstable king, he learned how not to lead. And, and as he played music to serenade King Saul, he learned the power of music. He learned the power of worship, and he learned the importance of servant leadership. And in David's waiting as a refugee, hiding out in the caves for refuge, he came to understand that God was his refuge. God was his rock. God was his fortress. Yes, God was a God who would take care of him when he was desperate and alone and helpless. 
And during this time, he learned the significance of showing mercy, showing forgiveness to those who would wish him harm. I mean, all of these things were instrumental in shaping him as a person, shaping him, shaping his faith in God and shaping his ability to lead as a king. Yeah, God uses the weight to change us. It's his territory for transformation. And in these seasons, man, what God does, God, God's word, it, it, it slowly reframes our perspectives. Jesus expands his influence over the various parts of our life. And the Holy Spirit teaches us, teaches us how to hear God, how to respond to God in faith and in obedience. And that's why some of the most common metaphors in Scripture for the way life works, for the way God moves, we've seen a lot of metaphors about like farming, where a person must wait for fruit to grow, waiting for harvest. And we see a lot of metaphors uh, about like children growing and maturing into adulthood and how the human body grows and matures over time. And these metaphors in the Scripture, they tell us, first of all, that deep, pervasive faith and holiness and fruitfulness that doesn't occur instantly. But not only that, it, it tells us, it teaches us that in these moments when it appears like nothing's really happening, where it seems like there's a whole lot of sitting around and waiting, there's so much more going on than meets the eye. There's so much more going on than we could possibly imagine. Yes, something is happening while nothing's happening. God is at work in the wait. Recently, I've been uh, watching a TV show called Alone on the History Channel. And uh, the premise is that uh, 10, cont 10 contestants who all have proven survival skills, they're dropped off in uh, different locations deep in the wilderness, completely alone, totally by themselves. I mean, no camera crews, nothing. They're equipped with just like 10 survival items and some like GoPro cameras to record themselves. And the goal is simply to see who can stay out there the longest, to outlast the other contestants, to outweight the others. And the last man or woman gets a half a million bucks. So there's a big prize at the end of it. And some of these people were out there, the season I watched, they were in the wilderness of Patagonia, and they were, some of them were out there for three months by themselves, waiting it out. But others tapped out much earlier. Some people tapped out after a couple weeks, some tapped out even just after a couple days. And no judgment, by the way, I mean, I wouldn't last 45 minutes. But I noticed that there's like this interesting pattern between the people who were, who were able to stay out there a long time versus the people who decided to leave early. And it, and it wasn't necessarily survival skills because again, they all had that stuff down. But the people who left early, they seemed to be overwhelmed by the waiting. Just the day-to-day -day nothingness was crushing to them as they were just waiting for the, for the competition to be over, to get to their destination. And they focused a lot on what they didn't have there with them. And one contestant who left early, he said, man, it, it felt like I was in like this big, wide open, beautiful prison. 
His mentality was, I, I just can't wait for this to be over with. I, I just want it to be over. You see, many of the people, they were simply trying to survive the wait. But then there were people who were able to endure it and, and not only endure it, but, but thrive in that space. And, they, and it's because what I noticed, they had a, a much different mentality. And pinpointing it, I think it's that they were just more present in the waiting. They consistently expressed gratitude for what was around them. They consistently expressed gratitude for the, the day-to-day experience and even the nothingness that they experienced many days, many hours. They used the time to be creative, to make things like instruments and spoons and to etch their story on sticks. They found joy in it. They were choosing, in other words, to live in the whole experience rather than merely survive it. And for them, it wasn't just about making it through to the other side. It wasn't just about getting to the destination. It wasn't just about the money. It was about like, what can I learn? What can I discover about myself while I'm here, while nothing is happening? I tell you this because I think that this is actually a really good metaphor for us when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting. When we find ourselves there, we can ask ourselves, man, how present am I to what God is doing in me and revealing to me and teaching me here? And we can ask ourselves, is our wilderness, our wilderness of waiting, is it something we feel we have to survive and get over with as fast as possible? Or do we believe that it's something we can actually find life in and that there's a gift to be discovered in it? And as I conclude this message, you guys, I wanna share something with you that I hope will bless you. I've been listening to, listening to a song on repeat lately from an artist that I love. His name's Chris Renzema. And uh, I think that this song is, is, is pretty fitting for this message today. Um, and I'm just going to share a couple lines from this song. It's called Let the Ground Rest. And my hope is that the Lord will use it to bless you and speak to you like he has for me. It goes like this. Been waiting on a moment, waiting on a sign, waiting for them to call your name and you're next in line. Waiting for your time to come, you're 15 minutes in the sun. So don't you find it strange that God, he made four seasons, but only one spring. So just let the ground rest. Because if it's not right now, it's for the best. You're gonna grow, I know this. But for now, just let the ground rest. Because you'll finish what you start you started this, I know. And if you saw the plans, maybe you wouldn't go. I'll watch him plant a seed and then let the ground rest. So child, believe, because I promise there's a harvest. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you are with us all the time in all places. You're with us in our journey. You're with us when it gets hard. You're with us in the waiting and you are there with us even when it seems like nothing is happening. And Lord, I pray that you would 
Help us to trust you when we find ourselves there. Help us to trust your timing. Even when we grow confused, disappointed, when there's a lot of silence, Lord, may we believe that you are there, that you are working, and your timing is perfect. And so, Lord, build our faith, increase our faith. And I pray that as we walk through and navigate these seasons of waiting in our life, that we would come out of it stronger, better for it, and closer to you. And I just pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. God bless you.